ان الحمد لله ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان سيدنا محمدا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه واله وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار اعاذنا الله واياكم منها اجمعين Dear brothers and sisters have you ever sat at a campfire and saw lots of bugs and moths flying straight into the fire maybe you saw that and you said to yourself that these moths these silly silly moths compared to us they are far less intelligent creatures so no wonder they would rush into this fire unthinkingly flying right to their death many people have seen flops moths and flies and other insects flying into the campfires and they wonder why they do this the messenger of allah the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam he says that the parable of myself and mankind the example of me and mankind the parable of myself and mankind is that of a man who has kindled a fire when the fire filled the area around it with light moths and insects began falling into the fire the man tried to prevent them from falling into the fire but they overcame him and flung themselves into it likewise he said i take hold of your belts or your waist to prevent you from falling into the hellfire but you fling yourselves into it dear brothers and sisters in the quran allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes our beloved prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as harisun alaykum as one who is very keen and deeply concerned for what is good for us but we see this hadith and understand from it that many people despite that concern many people are like moths who fly into that fire who rush unthinkingly into things that they think are good for them but are ultimately deadly for them that is the human reality and there are many many ways we rush into things uncritically that ultimately damage our faith that weaken our connection with Allah or cause us to earn sins 
And there are too many of those to speak about in a single khutbah. So we want to focus on one or two of them today, insha'Allah. One example of this recklessness that many people have that damages their own iman, that harms them in this life and the hereafter, but which they have no understanding of, is the false embrace of what we call excessive religious zeal that is not grounded by sound knowledge and understanding. Where a person who doesn't know any better thinks that there is only one way of doing things. They think there is only one understanding that is acceptable. There's only one way, my way or the highway, and everyone else is just wrong. And not just wrong, they're also deviated, they're also astray, and therefore it is justified for me to denigrate them, to accuse them of corruption, of deviance, of bid'ah, and God forbid, kufr and shirk. This is the attitude of some people who embrace religious zealotry who are not grounded by ilm, by sound knowledge and sound understanding. In the life of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, we do not have a record of a single incident where the Prophet Muhammad responded to Quraysh with demeaning language or outright insults. Even though they were persecuting him and his community, even though they were insulting him with the worst of insults, there is not a single narration where he responded in kind. Instead, we see the hadith where it says that the Prophet ﷺ, he was not a person given to insulting people or denigrating them or cursing them or speaking in a loud, rude manner with people. That's not how he was. And that's what he taught us. But do we live up to those teachings, dear brothers and sisters? We as Muslims may struggle to live up to those teachings and we may lose our tempers very easily. We may shout too much. We may even use foul language and curse from time to time when we know we shouldn't. But nowhere is that uglier than when it is given a religious justification, when it is painted with a religious veneer, where people justify their horrible character and behavior, their nastiness, they justify it with religion. They justify it by deen. Dear brothers and sisters, if we are to be a mature community, if we are to mature as an ummah collectively, we are all going to have to elevate our discourse. We have to elevate our discourse, elevate our knowledge of how this deen works, and we have to elevate our religious literacy. So let us talk about this, dear brothers and sisters. Islam, this way of life that Allah has blessed us with, this is a way of clarity and a way of principles. God-fearingness, taqwa, is not about being super stringent and as hard and as harsh as possible. Taqwa, in its essence, is being accurate and doing the right thing at the right time, in the right measure and for the right reason. That is taqwa. So beyond the absolutely clear-cut 
and decisive text of the Quran and the Sunnah establishing our beliefs, our ethics, and the halal and the haram. There are multiple texts from within the Quran and the Sunnah that bear multiple possible and reasonable interpretations based on the nuances of the Arabic language and based on logical principles and based on reconciling various texts so that we look at things holistically. This is why, dear brothers and sisters, we see that the companions of the Prophet ﷺ differed among themselves over several legal issues. And these differences were completely natural, completely normal. And most importantly, these differences that arose among the companions about various issues did not spoil their brotherhood. Those differences did not spoil their brotherhood or cause one of them to accuse the other of dalala, of misguidance. There was mutual respect with these differences. And that respect continued on to the second generation and on to the third among the ulama, among those firmly grounded scholars. We have the famous story of Imam Malik, the Imam of Ahlul Madina. Imam Malik once entered the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ after the Asr prayer, and he sat down near the front of the masjid. Now the Prophet ﷺ instructed that anyone who enters the masjid should not sit down until they first pray the two rak'ahs of Tahiyyatul Masjid. That is the sunnah, that is the prophetic command. But Imam Malik rahimahullah was of the opinion that the Prophet's command to pray those two rak'ahs is overridden by the prohibition of praying any voluntary prayer after Asr. So you see here the dilemma. Either you pray the two rak'ahs, which he commanded, or you're praying in a forbidden time, which is after the Asr prayer. Which one are you going to do? Are you going to pray them, or are you going to sit down? He was of the opinion that one should just sit down at that time. So Imam Malik comes into the masjid of the Prophet ﷺ, and he sits straight down after the Asr prayer. A young man in the masjid saw him, and it's very obvious he did not recognize who he was. He did not know that this is Imam Malik, one of the great and most illustrious scholars in the history of Islam. So this young man, not knowing it's Imam Malik, says to him, Qom wasalli, get up and pray. So what did Imam Malik do? Imam Malik did not shout at him. He did not debate him or argue with him. Imam Malik stood up and he prayed the two rak'ahs. And his students were around him and they were quite puzzled to see this. Did the Imam change his opinion? What's going on here? Because we learned from him that we're not going to pray that prayer after Asr because it's a forbidden time to pray. So they were puzzled and after he finished praying, the students went to him and asked him about his actions. Imam Malik said, my opinion hasn't changed and I haven't gone back on what I taught you before. But I simply did not want to be included among those whom Allah has addressed in the verse, وَإِذَا قِيلَ لَهُمُ ارْكَعُوا لَا يَرْكَعُونَ I did not want to be among those addressed in the verse of Qur'an where Allah says, when it said to them, bow in prayer, they don't bow in prayer. So I decided to get up and pray the two rak'ahs. We have another example from the great Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, rahimahullah. 
Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal held the opinion that if you eat camel meat, you have to make wudu before you pray. Eating camel meat, he believed, breaks your wudu. And he had his reasons for believing that. But the overwhelming majority of the fuqaha, the jurists and the scholars of Islam, were of a different opinion, that this is abrogated, this is no longer the case. So one time, one of his students asked him, they said, what if you find an imam eating camel meat in front of you, and he gets up and doesn't go make wudu, and he begins to lead the prayer? Would you pray behind him? Imam Ahmed said, do you think I would not pray behind the likes of Imam Malik and Imam Sa'id bin Musayyib? Do you think I wouldn't pray behind the likes of those great illustrious scholars who held a different opinion to me? He didn't denigrate them, because differences, dear brothers and sisters, are completely natural. Differences are completely natural. Allah created us with differences. Allah created us with differences in our languages, our ethnicities, our cultures, our ways of understanding things. This is sunnatullahi fi khalqi. This is the way Allah Ta'ala has set creation. These differences exist in our physical forms. They exist in our languages, our cultures. They even exist in our capacities for understanding. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala is the one who distributes the different degrees of understanding. Some people have a higher degree of knowledge and intellect than others. Some comprehend things quicker than others. This is all a sign of Allah's all-encompassing power and wisdom in doing in His creation whatever He wills. The Prophet ﷺ guided us to respect these differences in the capacities to understand. This is why He said, خَاطِبُ النَّاسَ بِقَدْرِ عُقُولِهِمْ he said, speak to people in a way they can understand. Speak people according to the level of their intellectual capacity. Do you want to say things that go over their head, that cause them to deny and reject something that is sound, but which they don't fully grasp? So we have to be careful and understand that humans will differ and they have different capacities. The differences amongst us are not really the concern. The real issue is how we, as Muslims, deal with these differences of opinion. And what should be our relationship with someone who has a different opinion than us on different matters. Another example that really highlights this is something that we all recognize and see every single time we come to the masjid. The Prophet Muhammad said, لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بفاتحة الكتاب. There is no prayer, no accepted prayer, for the one who does not recite Surah Al-Fatiha. Meanwhile, in another hadith, the Prophet ﷺ says, the recitation of the Imam is the recitation of the one praying behind him. Two different hadith. Imam al-Shafi'i rahimahullah, he said, that it is fard, it is obligatory to recite the Fatiha when you are praying behind the Imam. If you are praying behind the Imam, you recite the Fatiha quietly to yourself. He says it's fard. Imam Abu Hanifa says, it's haram to recite the Fatiha behind the Imam. Imam al-Shafi'i uses the first hadith, Imam Abu Hanifa uses the second. 
And they have different ways of understanding the other proofs. And there is this back and forth in legal reasoning. That's in our tradition. That's in our, our religion. But you never find any example. You'll never find in any of the works of Imam Shafi'i where he says, look at these idiotic, deviant followers of Imam Abu Hanifa. How can they be so foolish? The dalil is clear, akhi. The proof is clear. He never said that. He never said the followers of Imam Abu Hanifa are following their desires and tossing aside a clear hadith of the Prophet He never said they seem to prefer Imam Abu Hanifa over the Prophet Why didn't he say these kinds of things? Because he was an alim, he was a scholar, and he knew the reasons for the differences among the Imams and where they take from and how they structured their arguments and positions. That's why he used to always say, Qawli sawab yahtamilu khata. What I say, my position on matters, I believe genuinely is correct, but it bears the possibility of being wrong. And what they say is, I believe is incorrect, but it bears the possibility of being correct. This is for qualified scholars, dear brothers and sisters, not laymen. It is for them to analyze and debate these issues among themselves with the proper tools. Adawatul ijtihad, alatul fahm, adawatul ijtihadi, wa istimbat min al nusus, tahqiq al manat, wa tamqiq al manat, wa takhrij al furu'i ala al usul. All of these principles by which they understand the essence of the matters over which the great imams differed. So we have to free ourselves of ghurur, delusion, of thinking that we can force our views down the throats of other people based on a very shallow reading and limited understanding of issues that have been within the ummah for over a millennium. We have to not allow shaitan to puff us up with pride and delusion and think that we're going to become the saviors of Islam and remove all differences among the ummah by denigrating people, by, sh by arguing with them, by getting into online debates and so on and so forth. This is delusional. And I say online because a lot of this has gone from offline to online. You know, here at the masjid, we have lots of people who come usually in the off hours, in the morning times, they come sometimes to talk about Islam, not Muslims or people who are non-Muslim wanting to become Muslim. So they come and we meet and we speak and many of them take shahada. They become Muslim here, alhamdulillah. And most of the time they ask me to recommend some good, reliable websites by which they can learn more about Islam and a prayer and how to grow in their faith. And I give them one or two reliable websites that I trust, but I always tell them do not take your Islam from the internet. And it's not because there is not good online resources about Islam. Of course there are. There are many good websites. But for every good website about Islam, there are 100 other sites that are filled with absolute ignorance, shallow thinking, parochialism, and clear nonsense. And most people simply don't have the time or inclination or foundations to discern between solid and reliable Islamic knowledge and fakes who masquerade as authorities, 
who get 100 things wrong for every one thing they get right. And when it comes to online forums and discussions, it's even worse. You have people, confused Muslims online in comment sections, outright denigrating other Muslims. Idiots, khubatha, filthy deviants, zanadiqa, mubtadi'a, ahlul talalati wal zayq, quburiyun, mushrikun, ila akhiriha, min qamusi shata'imi, ahli al-zayqi wal inhiraf. Basically, a whole dictionary of insults and denigrative denigrating terms towards people they disagree with. And this happens a lot online these days. And it happens offline too, but it's a lot rarer offline because most self-styled saviors of Islam are really too cowardly to get into it with people. It's becoming less and less. It's mostly moved online, but it still exists. But in light of all of this, what does our Lord say? What does our Creator say to us? Allah tells us in the Quran, husna." Allah Ta'ala says, and speak beautifully to people. Not just Muslims, nas, people. Speak beautifully to people. But these individuals we're speaking about, they speak the ugliest words about their fellow Muslims. It's shameful. It's low, it's base, and it's sick, a sickness. Understand, dear brothers and sisters, that religious debates online and offline are most often not really about religion as such. It is about the ego. Because some people have the sickness where they have to define themselves by who they're against more than what they stand for. And religious debates becomes a proxy for serving the ego, al-intisaru nafs So they frame their zealotry as ghayra, the dinillah, protective jealousy over the religion of Allah. And they consider it a pious deed. But this so-called piety of theirs doesn't hold them back from backbiting. This so-called piety that they claim doesn't hold them back from slandering and making up lies and fabrications against people they disagree with. This so-called piety doesn't stop them from denigrating those they disagree with. It's a psychological state, dear brothers and sisters, and it's not new. It's not new. It may be in new forums online, but the psychological state is as old as humanity. We have in Sahih al-Bukhari, a narration from Ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah, he mentions that a man from Iraq had asked him if a person wearing the ihram for Hajj and Umrah is allowed to kill flies. They're asking about killing flies, whether or not that vitiates the ihram, whether that breaks the ihram state if you're going for Hajj or Umrah. So he says in this hadith recorded by Imam al-Bukhari, he says, Ahlul Iraq yas'aluna an al-dhubab. He says they're asking about, this person asking by the way was involved in the political intrigue and fitna that resulted in the martyrdom of Imam Hussein. So the person asking was involved in that fitna. And then he says, subhanAllah, the pe these people are asking about the, the blood of a fly. Meanwhile, they shed the blood of the, of this, of the son of the beloved daughter of the Prophet 
It's very horrendous. So what do we do? There's lots of things we do. But I think we can start with charity. We think of charity as giving money or giving time. But there's another kind of charity that we should be reminded of. And that is being charitable in how we interpret the words of others. We call that charitable interpretation. It's when you strive to be objective and interpret the words of someone in the best possible way. So when a person strives for that, they try to understand what the person says as they intend and in the best possible way. But this ignorance, this jahl, combined with malice, with ghil, this has given rise to straw man arguments, a logical fallacy, where people give the worst possible interpretation to what others say and what others profess to believe. They construct this elaborate boogeyman of their fellow Muslim brothers and sisters and assume the absolute worst possible things about them and then pick apart this construction of their own making. You know, there's a meme online I saw recently and it was a, just a text meme and it said, how online media works. That's the title at the top. How online media works. And it says, me saying something. I prefer mangoes to oranges. And then the next text, the random person says in reply, so basically, what you're saying is you hate oranges. You also fail to mention pineapples and bananas and grapefruits. Educate yourself. I'm literally shaking. That's a meme online, but that exemplifies the state of people who are very uncharitable with what other people say. They give it the worst possible spin and then attack that understanding, that worst understanding, and think that they are doing the right thing. It's delusion. And we see this in religious discourse. It has planted the bitter seeds of hatred among people under various catchphrases. And sadly, it is not limited to a single group or party. No one has a monopoly over this. Allah Ta'ala says, كُلُّ حِزْبٍ بِمَا لَدَيْهِمْ فَرِحُونَ All sorts of groups take part in this because it's a psychological state of the ego vis-a-vis -vis other people they disagree with. So it is basically zealotry, theological extremism, and irhab fikri, this intellectual terrorism. These are the shared traits of every single zealot, mutatarrif, no matter what madhab, what mashrab, what maslak, whatever orientation they have, whether they belong to any group or no group at all. It is a psychological state a state of the ego. So we have to find a way out of this, dear brothers and sisters. So what is the way out? What is al-makhraj min al-fitna? What is the way out of the fitna? We have to find the way out. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to enlighten us and give us understanding and to remove ignorance from us and keep us from bigotry and ugly sectarianism. Ameen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم وبعد Dear brothers and sisters, what is the way out? In what I described, there has to be a way out from it. What is that way out? The only way out, the only solution or solutions to this problem is in the following. Number one, 
there has to be ikhlas, there has to be sincerity. Then there has to be humility, tawadur. Then there has to be being truly grounded in the Islamic tradition, truly grounded in knowledge. That means that we do not take our deen from ideologues. We do not take our deen from sloganeers. We do not take our deen from callers to fitna and callers to sectarianism. We have to learn our foundations and we have to learn the scope of acceptable differences within the ummah, al-khilaf al-mu'tabar. And we have to then get on with life and focus on our purpose of existence. There are people, our purpose of existence as Muslims, we know what it is. It is to worship our Lord and to live a life of purpose and meaning, striving for His pleasure. But there are people whose purpose is basically to always be battling against their fellow believer. This is a disease. Allah Ta'ala has commanded us collectively as an ummah to call others to the deen of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala. And many Muslims set off on this mission completely blindfolded, not realizing that the map is right there in the Qur'an. In the same verse where Allah Ta'ala tells us to call others to Him, He tells us how to do it. اِدْعُوا إِلَىٰ سَبِيلِ رَبِّكَ بِالْحِكْمَةِ وَالْمَوْعِظَةِ الْحَسَنَةِ وَجَادِلْهُمْ بِالَّتِي هِيَ أَحْسَنَ He says, call to the way of your Lord with wisdom and with good instruction and argue in a way that is best. Have a dialogue in a way that is best. Our Creator has taught us to invite others to Him. He has taught us how to do this. What does it mean, therefore, for us to call others with hikmah, with wisdom, to engage with others with hikmah? The ulama teach us that hikmah is of two types. There is hikmah ilmiyah, the hikmah of knowledge, and then there is the hikmah amaliyah, the hikmah in practical terms, and how you approach people and how you engage with them. And there are people who have hikmah in their knowledge. They have wisdom and knowledge, but they're lacking in the hikmah of action. They try to correct and teach others, and they lack hikmah when doing so. Then there are people who have hikmah in their actions, but they don't have hikmah in their knowledge. And then you have what we've been talking about today. Those who lack hikmah in knowledge and hikmah in how they deal with people. I'll give you one example out of many. There's a brother who once completed his salat in the congregation. Not here, somewhere else. He completed the salat in congregation. And after the salams, he looked to his right and he said, Allah," And he shook the hand of the person to his right. And he went to the other person on his left and said, Allah." May Allah accept. And we see this. So he turns to the person on his left, Allah, and he reaches his hand, and that person slaps his hand and says, this is a bid'ah. So then the man whose hand was just slapped, he says, oh, and slapping my hand and disrespecting me is the sunnah? Dear brothers and sisters, that is a lack of hikmah in ilm, of knowledge, and a lack of hikmah in how you deal with people. It's a lack of hikmah in knowledge because the majority of the ulama historically permitted the shaking of hands after prayer saying Allah. And those who did disapprove of it 
They disapproved of it when it was a regular sustained practice as if it was part and parcel of the prayer itself. And even those scholars who disapproved of it as a regular practice said, it is at the most makruh, disliked, not haram. So would you do a haram thing in order to stop something that's makruh? Would you do something that is forbidden to stop something that is not forbidden but disliked? It's like a person doing something haram to do something that's recommended. It's like a person who in their zeal and ignorance, they want to go kiss the black stone. They're making tawaf and they want to kiss the black stone. And they're so eager. So in order to get closer, they punch someone and knock them down to get closer. They do something haram to do something that is at most mustahab lil qadiri alayh, for the one who can do it. This is because of ignorance, dear brothers and sisters. When you lack hikmah in the knowledge and you lack hikmah in how you deal with people, right? A person may know they have hikmah and knowledge. They may know something is wrong, but they may not know how to correct it in the best way, in the way that achieves the intended aim. That is a separate discussion. We're talking about ignorance in matters of deen, combined with malice, zealotry, arrogance, and all of these things. Dear brothers and sisters, what is the makhraj, the way out? It is to have ilm, to a sustained study of the deen. Is there a legitimate reason for me to differ with that person or not? Maybe I'm misinformed. Maybe I misunderstood. Maybe I should try to understand what they're saying on their terms, not any preconceived notions. There has to be that ilm. Number two, there has to be sincerity, ikhlas. You have to differ with someone, if you have to differ, with the hope of coming away with the truth. Not just to vent out anger or rancor or to embarrass someone. It has to be real. It has to be based on sincerity. It has to be based on rifq, on kindness. Harsh words are sometimes needed when commanding the good and forbidding the evil, legitimate evil. But those should be rare occasions. But denigrating words and disrespectful words and behavior should never be displayed even if we disagree with someone. And lastly, dear brothers and sisters, we have to learn to calm ourselves down and seek to understand what people are actually saying. How many times have you been in a conversation with someone, you disagree with them and they disagree with you, and as you're trying to get your point across, you see in them that they're not even hearing what you're saying. They're just, it's like a boxing match. They're waiting for you to close your mouth long enough so they can get their words in. And then when they're talking, you start doing the same. You're not even hearing what they say. That's not hiwar. That's not dialogue. That's just ignorant argumentation without basis. We have to be calm and deliberate in how we seek truth and speak to other people. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to purify and unite our hearts upon guidance and to elevate our discourse as Muslims and to give us understanding of our religion and tawazun, balance and maturity in our approach. Oh Allah, we ask you for beneficial knowledge. We ask you for a depth of understanding and we ask you for hearts that are open to receive guidance. And we ask you, Ya Allah, for ilm. We ask you, Ya Allah, for ikhlas. We ask you, Ya Allah, for rifq. And we ask you, Ya Allah, for tawazun and ta'anni, for balance, for deliberation, for sincerity, for sincere knowledge, 
and gentleness. Amin, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasana wa fi al-akhirati hasana wa qina adab al-nar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin abdika wa rasulika al-nabiyya al-ummi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallim tasliman kathira bi qadri azamati thatika fi kulli waqtin wahin. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen.